0: Welcome to episode 804 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 804 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsome. and James Owls. how you going, mate? Happy
1: New Year! Uh, 2022. 2022. Three out of four. Yeah. For the twos. That's right. Podcast proudly brought to you by our fantastic. Oh, patrons. you don't want to talk about anything. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. That's normally I throw you a question, get the mood going. Yeah. You, know? you just want to get into the year. Twenty twenty two. We're on a mission. <laughs> we're, we're, we're bullet pointing everything this year. It's just like straight into it. Bevan's start the new year. And we've got hey a forever. bloody cold. The no, have COVID. We've got the Rona. Yeah. <laughs> the Rona. Uh, <laughs> I talk is proudly brought to you by our patrons: Nemo, Dory, Bra, Roger, the Chop, Kenham. And Marion creaming the moose hearing. <laughs> it's a shocker.
0: That is. Uh, this week's show we've got a, two things. We've got John Swimsett. We okay. do, and then we've got an interview with Lauren Ward. Now Lauren Ward, I actually interviewed on my show. Uh, she owns one of the owners of Passion Fit, which is a, a triathlon group in the UK. Oh, yep. Um, we interviewed one of the athletes earlier, and the mm-hmm. way this athlete talked about it, I was like, wow, they're really passionate. So I got her on to talk more about their philosophy around training and groups and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so, and it was a really good interview, so we thought we'd check it on in the, in the Christmas break. So before we get into that, what's your swim set?
1: Well, today... Are you back I, at the pool, or you, uh, What's the date today? The fourth. The fourth. So we'll be back in the pool today. be first swim back, so I'm going to try planning on busting out a 1K time trial, so a few tips around <laughs> have that. have to do that. Not very regularly, because... It doesn't really, f- when you're swimming in public lanes. Yeah, true. And we, we we take over the lane, but we probably have five in the lane and it's only a 20, small 25-metre pool. Uh, so it's a little bit tricky, but it should be something. I, I would like to be doing it more often, but space is sometimes a bit uh, tricky with that. So just a few tips around learning how to do a 1K swim TT. There's quite an art to it, you know, both with a 400 and a 1K. And then once you get above that sort of 2 to 3K TTs, then it's a, a little bit easier because you're sort of swimming at a, you know, a more steady, sustained speed. But um so a one K T T is probably going to take you, you know, it's gonna vary between probably fifteen to 25 minutes depending on how good a swimmer you are some of you will do a little bit quicker, some of you might be a little bit slower so it's not that dissimilar to doing a like a FTP 20 minute TT test or a 5k run or something like that, pacing is pretty important so before you go in there have a think about your best case scenario average pace and what I'd recommend to to try to get an idea on that if you haven't done one of these before is maybe go and do a a 400 meter TT the week before and uh, see what you can bust out for that. In a 1k you like to be around about 1.5 to 3 seconds slower per 100 metres to do do that 1K. So key things whenever you're doing any sort of time trial like this, um, swimming, biking or running, is avoiding to go out too fast. I guarantee that most of you, when you did your first 20-minute FTP test, is you're looking at these numbers going, this is awesome for the first five minutes, and then it sort of starts to get a little bit harder and then there's a bit of a fade-off towards the end. So avoid going out too fast, the general plan is to try to do an even split whenever you're doing time trials. So the first third, it should feel a bit like you're holding back and you could go a little bit harder. The middle third, you're really having to work quite hard. And then the last third, you've got to throw everything at it uh, and maintain a good posture and good technique. So a few things that I'll do when I'm doing a swim TT in regards to technique tips when I'm starting to get tired is focusing on trying to stay nice and long and strong so you sometimes tend to you know shorten up a little bit Um, same applies when you're running you sort of start to slouch over a bit or your biking posture maybe round your back a little bit Uh, so staying long and strong um, really focusing on doing good turns and good streamlines if you can have a Good strong push off the wall each uh, each length, then you're going to start the length with a really good body position and some good speed. Uh, trying to focus on being on top of the water, so sort of working on your lift, just trying to stay on top rather than sort of sinking down into the water. Uh, keeping my stroke rate really high, so cadence um, of your arms nice and quick. Uh, and then for me as well, working on my catch. I know when I do that, so that's the front part of your stroke, so trying to put your arm around a barrel. If I can start my stroke really well, each stroke I'm taking, um, it sort of cascades into to the rest of the pull pattern as well. So in terms of um, doing a 1K time trial, you want to be really well warmed up, so I'd start with around about a 600 meter warm up with mixed strokes, then do 850s where you do one build up um, and then you do one where you go 25 fast, 25 easy. Then four 100s descend one to four, so that means first one's pretty comfortable, second one's a bit quicker, third one's a bit quicker, and the fourth one is a good strong effort. And then 200 meters really really easy and relaxed. Then have a, a minute or two where you just completely rest and just get yourself nice and calm down, get the heart rate down, get your head in the right space, and then push off and do your 1K TT. And keep an eye on your watch or, or the clock on the wall so you can keep an eye eye, eye on your pacing. Um, when I do this, I'll probably wear my little goggles with a little interface in it so I can keep an eye on pace and then a 300-meter warm-down to round it all off. Good times. People don't do a lot of t- swim TTs. What are you time are you going to do? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you were really expecting that question. <laughs> yeah, it, my my swim form was, was was on the rise up until before the Oxman and then it sort of flattened a little bit and then it's, we'll see what's happened over the Christmas break. But for me... Anything, uh, if I can get, if I can be averaging 125s per hundred, I'd be what? satisfied. What's it coming out? Uh, that would come out at fourteen ten. So if I was under fourteen minutes, I'd be pretty happy. Okay. Considering my swimming's not where it used to be, that would be a good swim. I'll imagine how long it'd take me. I reckon about twenty minutes, wouldn't it? No, you wouldn't be that long. You'd be uh, probably seventeen and a half to eighteen and a half minutes. Smashing myself. One minute forty five, one minute fifty per hundred. You wouldn't be a two minute swimmer.
0: You know, haven't seen me in the water in a while <laughs> uh, I did do 500 metres in Hamner a few weeks ago So I suppose that's true uh, uh, Okay let's get into this interview So we've got Lauren Ward Now she works with her partner in passionfit.co.uk uh, Really great fitness community around triathlon. So it's just a really cool interview with her About what they do Here it is, Lauren Ward right now Okay team, so I'm pretty excited today to have a lady by the name of Lauren Ward. She owns a business called passionfit.co.uk and uh, we're actually on my other podcast. We interviewed one of her athletes recently and it was pretty obvious that uh, this athlete was passionate about triathlon but also passionate about her community. And uh, I got in contact with Lauren and just having a talk about what they are doing that's making their community so strong as an A, helping people achieve results, but also the development of the person and their community. So welcome along to the show, Lauren. How are you?
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And uh, yeah, really pleased to be on. So thanks for having me on.
0: So first of all, maybe just give us an overview of what you do currently, because we're kind of yeah. going to get to the point where we <laughs> hey, got you here, but just maybe tell us, yeah. give us an overview.
2: So uh, what we do currently, so I um, currently um, run... The um, passion fit coaching uh, business and community. So ultimately, I guess it, it, it is a um, a coaching business, and we primarily work with triathletes, or not solely, but primarily work with triathletes. Um, but it's about so much more than that. It's a uh, it's a community of athletes, and um, we I guess we have in the past certainly found that we found it quite hard to find a group or a club or or a team that we've really felt um it is created an environment or a culture that we've really been able to to thrive in so we've we we decided i i guess uh i kind of bugger it let's 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 set up our own let's um set up our own and set it up exactly as we think um you know creates a, a place where people can um, and thrive and really reach their, their full potential, whatever that might look like. So, um, so we work with athletes on a one-on-one basis. Um, and we also work with, I, I guess, a community of athletes as well, that um, where we provide group sessions and we provide, I guess, a, a place for them to, um, to achieve whatever their sense of accomplishment is and make them feel very much that it's okay that for every athlete in the community that looks very different, you know, to some of them, it might be that they want to become a, um, a a Kona qualifier to some of them. It might just be, you know what, I want to use exercise as a way to just enhance my well being and, um, a healthy way to socialize and become a little bit fitter, healthier, enjoy life a little bit more. Um, and no matter what their goal is, um, that, that, that that's okay. It doesn't, none of them, they don't have to be kind of world beating goals all the time. Um, mm. so just really to provide a, a, a place where that's okay. Um, so, so it's, that there'll like be a step. So mm-hmm. you,
0: you worked in fitness for a while. Um, yes. You know what? So when you think about setting up this business, cause I, you, you sent me some notes beforehand and you're saying how you both kind of found a passion for triathlon and then you realize there yes. weren't really many like, good groups out there. So when you tell us a little bit about your history and, and then what philosophy did you want to build this community on?
2: yeah so um I guess yeah a little a little bit of background about me so I spent about 14 years working in the commercial fitness industry so um typically for commercial gyms right from um fitness coach or or sort of fitness instructor to personal trainer to group exercise instructor um to uh, gym management ultimately as well um and, and my husband, Tom, who also I, runs the, the community and the coaching business with me, comes from quite a different background. Um, his is more from, he spent, oh my goodness, how many years, 20 plus years in the fina- in financial services and um, performance coaching, but in the corporate world, as opposed to necessarily in the sporting world. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he, he did have um, quite a sporting background as well, more not in triathlon, ironically, uh, before this point, it was in uh, hockey, um, both playing and coaching. Um, And then, yes, ultimately, um, I guess to to cut a long story short, um, Tom and I got married in 2011 and then um, decided to go to Club La Santa in Lanzarote for our honeymoon, where we um, fancy giving a triathlon a go. We kind of saw it on the timetable and thought, right, well, let's give this a go. Um, and, and, loved it. I mean, I was horrendous. I was terrible. I was, um, I came last. I was beaten by an eight year old boy. Um, I was, I, <laughs> I was awful, but I loved it. I thought it was great fun. It was something completely different. Um, Tom was a l- little bit more naturally, um, sort of, I suppose, talented and, and quite good at it. And we kind of got the bug for it. He'd actually already been persuaded by my stepdad who had done several Man's in the past. Um, to sign up for Iman Lanzarote the, the following year in 2012. Um, so he'd already sort of started to think about it, but that was his first taste of it. So we'd already got into it um, and we started to yeah, look at kind of local clubs and things. And I guess what we found was, um, and I guess different cultures work for different people, but what we certainly found is, is often in, in some clubs, there was a little bit of a culture of, I think we went to a couple of um, like group bike rides or group chain gangs things like that. And it was very very much about um, you know who who could who was the fastest cyclist and and on some occasions um, you know who who could uh, cycle the fastest and, and and maybe show that they were perhaps the strongest cyclist of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, you know certainly for me that I, I wasn't overly comfortable with that because I, I wasn't as naturally talented. I'm. Um, Uh, I I was a little bit of a beginner. Um, So we experimented with some different groups. And I guess the two extremes that we found were either that some groups could be a little bit. um, It was all about who could be the who could be the fastest. And then that the fastest people in the group would potentially be idolized a little bit as well. And then actually there were some groups, ironically, where um, it was all about the beginners, which was lovely. um, Probably for me more so. Um, but then it meant those at the other end of the scale didn't get much sort of help or support either Um, and ironically sometimes there seemed to be some confusion with um, if someone's fast um, and let's say they're shy so they came across a little bit quiet but because they're fast sometimes the perception is that they're arrogant whereas actually if you're a beginner and quiet the presumption is that you're shy perhaps mm-hmm. so we almost wanted to try and find that balance I suppose where it was the culture was uh beneficial and value adding to both ends of the scale to those that were beginners and those that were experienced um and perhaps um quite talented uh, and quite fast um and I guess we didn't want there to be that speed or ability didn't define you it wasn't whether you were a fast athlete or a slow athlete or whether you were experienced or not experienced that didn't really define you what defined you I suppose more or, or what defined the culture was um, was more your your attitude your mindset and your behaviors rather than your speed or your physical ability um and uh, you know don't get me wrong I don't think these the groups that we'd experimented with I totally get it. It's, it's how most of the world and and society is nowadays. It's, you know, nothing negative really about those groups. It was uh, just that we recognised that that was what the world really was like nowadays. And we wanted to create something a little bit different. So hence why we set up passion fit. And the idea is it's much more about how the athletes behave, what their attitude and their mindset is, um than it is necessarily about their their physical ability or, or their experience level. That mm. that's what matters to us the most.
0: So in regards to creating that, you know, because it's one thing to say it, but to, you know, to actually sit aside and so when you sit down to start to design what you guys are going to do, yeah. What kind of things were you thinking with the framework you're going to do that around?
2: Well, I guess this is where um I guess if I kind of take a step back, Um, yeah, it's a great question because it took us a long time to to figure it out. Um, we sort of recognised that we wanted something different, but we weren't quite sure at first how, what does that look like and how, like you said, do we define, um, yeah, what, what that looks like and how that's different to the current, um, kind of athletes or, or groups out there. And I guess to take it back a step, so i sort of explaining that obviously my background was in um, the kind of commercial fitness industry. Tom's was both in some elite level sport and the corporate industry. And what we'd noticed really across all three of those industries or all three of those worlds were there were always people that we sort of saw as highly accomplished and people that perhaps in whatever form that might be, the sporting world or in their kind of academic or, or, um, or career were, yet yeah, some were very highly accomplished and some didn't seem to, um, perform, um, very highly relative to their, what we sort of deemed as their potential. And um, so we really sat down and we thought, right, okay, well, across all of these three, um, kind of worlds, we saw there seemed to be some really common trends between, uh, the behaviors Um, and the attitudes and the mindsets that all of those that we deemed to be highly accomplished displayed versus those that didn't seem to be. Um, And and what we did is really we sat down and tried to put all of that together. And, okay, what were those, like I say, what were those really common trends of all those behaviours that we we witnessed? Um, And I, I guess effectively almost tried to reverse engineer it. What are all of those common things that we saw that seemed to really work? And what were all of those things that we saw that seemed to be common in those that didn't seem to, I guess for want of a better word, perform very highly relative to their potential. Um, and that's really how we came up with okay, that's what we're gonna base, I guess, passion fit on and the um and, and what we'll work with our athletes on above all else, because actually we recognize that if people get These key things right, it will lead to a much more accomplished journey. Um, and you might notice, I guess, some of the terminology that I use. I'm quite careful about the terminology that I use. I use the word um accomplished rather than successful, because what I don't want to be confused is that um it, you know, I guess it quite commonly can be um, misunderstood in more the corporate world and potentially sporting world as well. But the The word successful nowadays seems to be very linked to people that um, perhaps have a very high profile or very high power job or earn a lot of money um, or yeah ha- have you know a, a very sort of a prominent status or um, you know have a expensive mm-hmm. car big house that mm-hmm. kind of thing and that's not what success means to me but that is it seems to be very commonly the case nowadays is that the word success is linked to those things. Whereas we prefer to use the word accomplishment because for me, that's, that's not what success is, but I feel like I've got to use a different word so that it's, that, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's obvious that what I'm talking about is different. Um, so it's, uh, so, so yeah sorry like i say we we use the word accomplishment because and and we use um uh, people's accomplishment against their potential because we also recognize that again sporting world is is an easy example to use that everyone's potential is is different you know in the sporting world their physiology is going to play a, a large part of it um so we'll only ever i guess um uh measure our athletes accomplishment based on what we believe to be their potential. And of course, we'll gather that information through talking to them through training, et cetera.
0: And did you, so you, you said, does uh, so your framework, you work around with this, you know, like as you're kind of saying that you wanted to develop a bit of a pathway towards the ultimate potential or at least accomplishments of a t- potential. Uh, and you've got to figure out where they are on that scale. And so what's the kind of framework you work yeah. around with this?
2: So we use. Um, so what we established was um, that there were four core, what we call or we refer to as four core accomplishment behaviours, and two critical coachability behaviours. So essentially, what we realised when we sort of observed all these people and um, we saw these common trends, what we realised is across all of them that we deemed to be highly accomplished, they were always displaying the same four core accomplishment behaviours and two critical coachability behaviors um there were other behaviors that they would display as well that are also really important but i guess those were the six that we saw as always being there um if they displayed those um the outcomes were almost looking after themselves if that makes sense so what we've then established is that when we work with our athletes what we almost um work with them on are those four um, core accomplishment behaviors and to critical coachability behaviors, because, um, if we work on those, then the result is that their performance tends to take a huge uplift, that their outcomes end up looking after themselves and that the, um, I guess the objective measures that we'll often use in the sporting world, like time for, um, you know, uh, sort of runs and, and triathlons and, and whatnot, um, would end up improving, so uh, so that, that's what we base it on. We, we work with our athletes primarily. Of course, the training plan is important. And of course, to a certain extent, um, obviously that's important. But I guess once you get to a certain point and a certain level, we certainly believe that actually if we look after those things and we work with our athletes on developing those behaviors, those four behaviors, um, or those four accomplishment behaviors and two coachability behaviors, then their, their outcomes and their performance will start to look after themselves.
0: And what are those behaviours and, and the accomplishment behaviours?
2: I, f- I figured that might be the next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, four core accomplishment behaviours. The, the first one is goal setting. Um, so we certainly established that actually lots of people are, are good at, I say good at, can set goals, but um, we've often found that they're not necessarily um, goals that have been well thought out or individualized to them, you know, I, I'm sure you all have uh, had, you know, coached athletes in the past that come to you and you, you you talk to them and you ask them what their goals are and they'll say, um, you know, a really common one is uh, I want to go sub 12 um, on a, on an Ironman event and often I'll ask why um, and they can't necessarily explain to me why, or it might just be because that, 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 you know, that's what their friend did or, you um, well, that's what someone's told them would be a, a good time. Yeah. Um, so the goal setting piece is really, really important. And um, quite often in the past, we, you know, again in the corporate world and in the fitness industry, we've used SMART goals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and, and most people are familiar with that with that acronym. Um, but we felt that SMART goals was was um, it was lacking something. Um, there probably needed to be even more detail to it. To make sure that it was, um, I guess, the start point of their journey, which it, you know, the, the goal is normally the very, the very starting point. That starting point was absolutely um, on point. Otherwise, everything else seemed to fall apart if the goal setting in the first place wasn't right. Um, so, for for months, actually, my husband Tom was was racking his brain because um, he he's kind of, I guess, a, a bit of the. The mastermind behind a lot of the, the concepts that we work with he's he's got a very kind of conceptual and and um creative mind so he was like, I, I you know i, I want to find this kind of improved version of, of smart and in the end we realized that actually had been kind of staring us in the face for for months we had already been using the word um, ipsative a lot with our with our athletes and might be a word that a lot of people aren't familiar with i think it sort of uh, stems really from the um education uh kind of background or education world and to measure someone ipsitively would be measuring them based on their start point and their potential rather than relative to others um and we suddenly realized that actually the word ipsitive created the perfect acronym for what we believed was a a perfect uh, goal setting template so um i being for individualized so making sure that actually the goal was was their goal not a goal that they thought that they should have or uh, thought it might be what their coach might want to hear or their friends doing it's individualized to them and it means something to them um so uh and it was precise as well i guess you know similar to specific in, in in smart it was precise it was um there's no grey area with it. It was yes, you either have achieved it or you haven't. So it was it was precise. It was suitable for them as well. Um, you know, I, I suppose you know if their their love was in was in triathlon, then it was it was suitable to um, what they want their lifestyle to look like um, and what their lifestyle is. It was either um, attainable or aspirational. So um, we realised that some athletes quite like to set goals that we call attainable or maybe slightly safer goals. You know, they're they're quite, you know, they know it might be a bit of a challenge, but they're quite confident they can achieve it. Whereas some might like more aspirational goals. You know, the goal might just be actually a little bit out of reach, but they want to go for it anyway. And um, and understand that it's, yeah, it might be kind of a, um, yeah, more aspirational, a bit, bit more of a stretch. So the goal should be either at least attainable um, or, or aspirational is okay as well. Um, and it should be, Trackable and um, should be again be able to say whether you achieved it or not. Um, and uh, you should be at least able to influence the goal. So, what we mean by that is um, uh, I guess things are either controllable, uncontrollable, or influenceable. So, we can um, you we can't control
1: your form of control.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can't control. You can't control the weather, um, yeah. but you can control, you know, whether you take a, a, an umbrella out with you. Um, but the, the goal should, you should at least be able to influence it. Yeah. Um, even if you can't, the, ideally fully control it. If you can't fully control it, I guess in a race, for example, you can't control who else is going to be there, yeah. um, wh- how the other athletes perform, but you can at least influence it. You can um, prepare to the best of your ability and know that actually if everything goes to plan, you know, an outcome might look a certain way. Um, so you should at least be able to influence it. And then I guess the other bits that don't necessarily fall into smart previously is it should be value adding. Um, so the goal should add value to either your life or those around you. Mm. Um, and I guess that's what sometimes um, we have found in the past is sometimes missing from some people's goals. they, might like the idea of a goal, but actually the journey to get there can become quite frustrating, quite damaging um, to either them or to those around them. Mm -hmm. So we always like to kind of check in, you know, go through this checklist with our athletes when they create their goal is, is it going to be value-adding to you, your lifestyle, and those around you as well? And then the last one is it it should be exciting. You know, if it doesn't excite the athlete or, or the person, then the danger is, are they going to be motivated to, um, uh, you know, to follow through with everything that would be needed to achieve the goal. So it's it's got to excite them. So we came up with this Ipsative acronym and, and if an athlete's goal kind of ticked all of those boxes, um, then we deem that a really good starting place. Um, that, that was a nice clear goal, um, that should then lead to, um, Making, if the goal is correct in the first place, the journey to follow should then um, be a little bit simpler and should lead to less frustration and things like that. The second, which goes in quite nicely with it, is um, their commitment continuum placement. So I think Lydia mentioned this briefly on um, when when she spoke to you guys before, and um, what we then check in is okay. With the athlete, they, you've got your goal now, so how how committed are you to that goal and I don't know whether you know people listen would be very familiar with the commitment continuum but effectively it's it's stages of how committed to a goal that you are from not committed at all um, completely reluctant and and, and and don't buy into the goal at all um to compelled which would be I, I guess the, the the perfect place for a, an athlete to sit it, it, compelled is kind of that place where I'll do anything it takes to to achieve the goal but obviously then the other side of that is is obsessed which um often i guess we we end up seeing sometimes in athletes that become overtrained um injured sometimes if they um, aren't sure you know they've become perhaps a little bit too obsessed with the goal and aren't sure when to take the rest and and uh, take a step back and whatnot um so we talk to the athlete about where they would place themselves in the commitment continuum. Um, <clears throat> and ultimately, we need them to either be committed or compelled. Otherwise, if they think, mm, no, actually, maybe I'm sitting more at, um, you know, uh, reluctant or, um, or, or like I say, not at committed or compelled, then we might need to revisit the goal because if they don't sit there Mm -hmm. then they're not really committed to the goal. Then why is it a goal in the first place? We might need to take a step back. And one of those boxes perhaps wasn't ticked correctly. Is it individualized or is it a goal you think you should have, but you don't really want to do? So they're the first two really big steps that we we take with an athlete is we go through that goal setting process and then we work out where they are on the commitment continuum. Um, and those two things have to be aligned. Um, and sometimes there's a bit of back and forth between the, the, the goal and the commitment continuum until we find that perfect balance of brilliant, there's the goal and you're fully committed or or, or compelled to it. Uh, f- fantastic. Um, so they're the first two. They're the first two that we um, go, go through. Um, and then the third is the control the controllables. Um, so we've got, goal setting, commitment continuum, and then uh, control the controllables. So with control the controllables, we try to um, help the athlete understand that in order to achieve that goal, that means they need to control everything that they can that's going to lead um, to, I guess, them achieving the goal. So a a really simple example might be, um, you know, I think lots of the athletes that we've coached in the past probably don't get enough sleep. It's probably quite a common one. Um, but in theory that should be, um, controllable yeah. for, for lots of them. It might not, it might not be controllable. What time they, they get up in the morning, they may have to get up at a certain time because they've got to be at work at a certain time, You've got to get the kids out of bed, get them to school, whatever. But therefore what they can control is what time they go to bed. Um, so that they can control how how much sleep they get um they might not be able to fully control the quality of sleep they get but they can control things like you know, making sure they've got an open window so they've got fresh air making sure that they don't um have too much screen time immediately before bed um what you know not having caffeine etc so it's helping to teach them understand um that they do have full control over much more than perhaps either they realize or perhaps. And we often see from, from athletes getting things wrong and it's teaching them to control or controllables and not to worry really about the things that you can't control and to try and Mm -hmm. get that balance. Um, so it's educating them on, on, on the control of the controllables. Um, and, and quite often just by pointing that out to them and just talking to them about the concept is enough. They, they suddenly realize, oh, actually, yeah, I, d- I do have a lot more control of that than I first thought. And then the fourth one um, is prioritization. We call it the, the four Ds, although we've actually just extended it to the five Ds, which I'll explain in a moment. Um, <clears throat> but everything that you do through the day should fall into one of four boxes, either um, do, delay, delegate, or dump. So if it's a really important job and it's got to be done by you, then fine, it goes in, in your do box. Um, if it's perhaps um, quite an important job, but it could be done by someone else and you could recruit someone else's help for it, you pop it in the, the delegate box. If it needs to be done at some point, but perhaps not not urgently today, then you put it in delay. And if it's not an important job at all, um, then it, you just just dump it, just get rid of it. Um, and we recently, um, kind of have bought in a 50, which we call it the diddlies, which are like the jobs that take like 30 seconds, but we all procrastinate on, never do. And then it becomes like a two hour job. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think a really common one is, um, Tom's really, uh, meticulous about how clean our car is kept. So if one piece of rubbish gets left in there, it's like, oh my God, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so um
0: shop sure, so sure a problem in the relationship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so but he always says, it, come on, he's like, it's a diddly, it's a diddly. He's like if you and you know, every time we get out of the car, if we make sure we take all the rubbish with us, even if it's like one thing, um, then we never get to that stage where we've got to take two hours cleaning up the car and you know and, and whatnot. And every time we get out, you know, the dog's been in it and give it a wipe takes 30 seconds rather than like i say letting it build up so we've now just developed it into the the five d's um so it's it's time prioritization and i guess a, a really common one is things like um so you know using the sleep example earlier how many of you know the athletes in the past have sort of had conversations with me about the fact they'd like to get a little bit more sleep. And then I talked to them about, okay, we'll talk you through what your routine looks like. Perhaps when you get home from work, during your training, what does it look like? And, you know, lots of times they might have prioritized maybe watching one more episode on that Netflix box set that they were watching rather than go to sleep an hour earlier. Um, so it's helping them understand that actually, you know, if, if you really want to achieve that goal, then your prioritization has to be on point as well, has to be in line with that goal. I guess. Um, and the big thing for us is, is the athletes understanding that those four behaviours, if they get those four things right and those four things are in line with each other, so their prioritisation is based around their goal, their commitment, continuum, placement is appropriate for their goal or their goal allows them, I suppose, to be at the right place in the commitment, continuum. Um, and they're controlling all the things that they can control, then um, then we see the athletes almost always when they have those things on point, almost always achieve their goals. When we see athletes not achieve them, it's normally because one of those four, one or more of those four behaviors are falling out of sync all the time. Yeah. Um, and I guess normally it's not just one. Normally it's, if one falls out of sync, normally that leads to a knock on effect to the others as well. Yeah. So they're the four core accomplishment behaviors. They're really simple, but, um, we, we've certainly found that if people get those right then it leads to a, a very accomplished um, journey.
0: Yeah great And, and you see there are two performance or what was, that, was the, the two that
2: the two uh, critical coachability critical. behaviors yeah. we yeah. call them yeah <clears throat> So then on top of those um, yeah we, we, we call them the two critical coachability behaviors so these are um, also what we believe to be uh, extremely important in them in having an accomplished journey. The first being what we call transactional analysis. So whether they're self-coached or whether they have a coach, something that is always important is their communication with their coach or, or sounds a bit strange to say, but almost their communication with themselves. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of inadapt- yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess as we, we talk about with our athletes, there being kind of three um, transactional states, um, the preference is always for the transactions, the, the communication between the individual and the coach to be adult to adult. So it's always an adult conversation. So, for example, if a coach is delivering some constructive um, feedback, that the athlete takes it in, in an adult way. Um, and, and we try and make sure that neither the coach or the athlete ever fall into what we kind of call a, a child or a parent state. So a parent state could be, um, you know, perhaps a, a little bit too tell do. So telling the athlete what to do all the time, rather than it being a discussion and allowing the athlete to have input on that. So it, it not being too controlling, um, but equally it not to be too nurturing either. Because actually, if you know, I want of a better word, if you babysit the athlete all the time, we never help them like learn and educate Mm. and and make decisions yeah Yeah, absolutely um so we don't but we also don't want to control them either because it's their obviously it's their journey not ours Mm. um so we make sure that the coach never falls into a parent state but also the athlete never falls into what we call it a child state either um where they're perhaps uh, you know perhaps not receiving feedback well um and we recognize that actually if the athlete falls into a child state that can encourage the coach to fall into a parent state or or vice versa. Um, so it's making sure, and again, just normally by making the athletes aware of this, they, they, it makes them stay an adult because they recognize immediately if, okay, I can see I've, I've fallen into a state of mind that, um, may not be, uh, you know, constructive, so, um, or effective. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're really honest with our athletes that we, we always want to stay in that kind of adult-to-adult communication style. Um, so, um, so that's the first one. And the second is what we call the support direction matrix. So um, if any athlete at any point was to plot themselves on a graph, where would they plot themselves if you had one axis as the amount of support they needed um, from their coach? and uh, if the other axis was the amount of direction they might need um so support perhaps being um i guess sometimes like emotional support um uh, sometimes a little bit more around um how to how to deal with things how to do things and the direction might be quite literally what to do um Mm. or how to do something um And of course, that's going to change massively through an athlete's journey. Of course, there's going to be periods of time where they require much more support or much more direction than other times. Um, And obviously, beginners are are likely to be slightly higher on that scale, um, although not always um, than the more uh, advanced athletes. But again, by making the athletes aware of this um, and almost giving them the goal of always trying to keep themselves as low down on that matrix as they possibly can, means that the, the less, I guess, support and direction a coach has to give them, the more we can start to work with them on the next advanced yeah. step, on the next thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess every time we take them up a level, we'd expect them to go higher on that graph because it's something new that they're having to learn, something new they've got to understand. But then almost once we've taken them there, it's, the goal is to try and then bring them back down again to as low as they possibly can so that we can then go on to the next thing. Um, and the athletes that do that really well are the ones that, um, yeah, become extremely um, advanced, knowledgeable. The more knowledgeable, uh, the more they understand their sport, um, the, uh, the easier they are, are to work with um and like i say the more advanced concepts we can then go on to with them that we 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 feel have have a huge impact so their communication style and their support the amount of support and direction they need are also the two what we believe critical coachability behaviors um so between those and the four accomplishment behaviors when they have those six things on point um regardless of what their um, performance looks like relative to others they on usually the athletes that perform really highly versus their individual potential and tend to feel the most accomplished, the most happy with their journey as well, which I guess arguably is the, the most important thing, but certainly it's to me, which um, Tom often takes the mick out of me because I'm I'm quite, um, uh, what we call quite green. Yeah. Um, have you ever done sort of a scene insight personality colors before? Yeah. yeah. I'm, quite, I'm quite green. Quite green, yellow, and Tom's quite red. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting because um, our different personalities work quite well, ironically, across it's the athletes. True. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so that's a really awesome framework. It's one thing I'm because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of only got like another ten minutes to talk, so maybe I could talk to you for Edward. Yeah. But um, what, one thing I'm curious about is what do you guys do to create great community?
2: Well, is it, yeah, great question. And actually, um, there is is. It, there is actually a little bit of a framework that we use for this and it's a concept um, that people may well have, have heard of before um it's self-determination theory so we we try and focus on three key things with with all of our athletes um on three key things with with all of our athletes um one is um I get you, you may have heard of it before um autonomy competence and relatedness so we try and create in in all of our athletes in the community um, like autonomy. So they have um, they have input in their their training. They have um, it's not just dictated by us. They they actually have some input in the decision making process in what training they do, when they do it, who they do it with, so they can train with each other. And therefore, we um, we have to therefore create competence in them as well yep. so we try to educate them and and help them understand um uh how to make those decisions i guess um and then the third thing is is the togetherness piece so we we could try and create an environment where they all have i suppose a a similar they'll all have different goals but um they all have a sense of wanting to support each other achieve those goals Um, all understand, they all have um, some autonomy they um, are all trying to develop their competence so that they can use each other to do that as well as us so we encourage them to train together a lot Um, so that might be athletes not just us with our athletes but uh, our group of coached athletes, those that are local, we'll encourage them to train together a lot so that they can develop that in each other Um, and we recognise that feeling part of something can be hugely motivating. Actually, this can be quite a lonely sport in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of people's training can be very, very solo Um, and spend hours on their own and we recognize it can be a very lonely sport. So the more that we can bring people together to share the experiences together, not just in their training, but in racing, um, it seems to be um, quite a large part of people's motivation. So on a Monday morning, at monday wednesday friday morning we do um a uh, sort of 6 a.m group bike session like virtually by like zwift and, and discord um and almost all of our guys are on it every single week um you know some of them do not have to be up at that time they could you know they could well train later but they do it because they recognize that by being on the session isn't only motivating for them of course because it's kind of you don't want to let others down you, you know it's often more enjoyable if you, if you do it with others. But also um, they recognize that them being on it is also motivating for the others as well. Mm. So the more people there are, the, the, um, I guess the, the more sense of them being part of something, helping support each other. Um, so we try and really encourage the guys to recognize that they are part of something. And they um, not only do we obviously want to support their journey, but when they come into Passion Fit, we don't just support their journey. They support everyone else in the community's journey as well. Mm. So it's, it's very much an understanding that, yeah, if you come into the community, you, um, it, you don't just take from it, you give to it as well. Yeah. And, and that give can be literally just being present, you know, just being around, because that mm. is enough for a lot of people. So it's very much a, a two-way process, I suppose, is, is that very much the way we see it and the way that we explain it to people.
0: Mm, and so there's the kind of responsibility but also the the reward yes
2: yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah and then if if everyone is is that way in that they want to give as well as obviously take then um it becomes a really rewarding um community for, for everyone to be in um and again we we sort of we don't mind what people's goals are and we recognize that they're all going to be so completely different and there's going to be a huge bandwidth of what that's going to look like but the thing that we ask more athletes is that um no, no matter what you know when they set those goals they um they'll do their best to achieve them because mm-hmm. they set a great example to each other then as well yeah. um it kind of creates a culture and, and of
0: we, we, we're working to improve it, uh, each individual the next yeah yeah.
2: yeah, very much, and is there, is we. Oh, sorry, you go. No, you go. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say. Then I guess we, um, we try to create a culture where if if Tom or I were to step back from and and let's say we said, you know, guys, you've got to kind of look after yourselves for a couple of weeks. We would want, um, the culture to be self self sustainable. You know, if mm-hmm. we walked away. Um, i guess that i think the, the definition really of culture is everyone knows how to behave without actually being told how to behave and that's almost what we want to create is that it becomes the norm for them to support each other
0: mm. um just is there anything else that you you've discovered that really helps create belonging
1: Ooh, we to mm.
2: I think um certainly something that I've observed is um when the athletes feel comfortable to be completely open and honest with each other and usually the biggest thing that that um, is normally about is their their why so when they set a goal we normally try and kind of dig a little deeper and find out why they want that goal in the first place Um, And I guess it's like, uh, like kids say, don't they? They they kind of ask the question, why, why, why? Kind of five or six times. And there's the, you know, the common um, understanding of, you know, uh, ask why five or six times um, to really dig down and really get an understanding of why someone's got that goal. What, what led to it in the first place? Because it's not normally the first thing they say, you know, when they say, I want to get fitter or or whatever. There's normally something much, much deeper. And it's when athletes really feel they can be comfortable and open and honest to share that, not just with us as coaches, but with each other in the community. Mm -hmm. I think they often realize that lots of them have much more in common than they perhaps first realized. Um, and that, that creates some lovely bonds, um, and an an even bigger desire for them to then support each other because they can relate perhaps much more than it might seem on the surface. Mm. Um, so I, I, I try and encourage the guys to, um, I guess, communicate with each other just as much as, as they do with us. And I'll often send my athletes off to go and talk to one of my other athletes when they have a question or, or a problem, um, because I know that particular athlete has also had to overcome it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's trying to yeah, encourage them to be completely open and honest. Um, and that seems to create, um, yeah, some, some lovely bonds between them.
0: And us. So, so, it's creating an environment where people are free to express to higher levels, is really what you're saying, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah and absolutely. Then, and,
0: and the expression of the higher level then creates a deeper bond between that community and then, yeah. Very
2: much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah massively.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, just, just like, unfortunately, I only have like five minutes, but. Um, yeah, no problem. Just what would you say to someone who's not exercising in mm-hmm. regards to getting into exercise?
2: Um, I would say, uh, like, I think I totally understand that um, it, it probably seems like, like a mountain to climb um, if you're, you're not exercising at all at the moment. Um, and a lot of the feelings that person is probably experiencing is probably much more common than they might realize. And actually, I was thinking about this example the other day is um, if uh, when someone brand new ever came to one of my group exercise classes, they would always come and they would say, I am so nervous. I'm going to go somewhere at the back. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone else has been here loads before and really experienced and and doesn't feel nervous or whatever. And that person always thinks they're the only person that feels like that. Um, and and they're probably not. And, um, so I, I can't recommend obviously exercising enough for not just for their physical health, but for their, for their mental health as well. Um, it's you know i don't know if i've ever had um an athlete that didn't feel like doing a session and that doesn't have to be like a an hour hard interval session i mean that could just be going out for a walk for an hour taking the dog for a walk um riding your bike but i don't think i've ever known anyone to come back from that session not wanting to do it but making themselves do it and saying oh, i wish i not bother they they always are glad they've done it. They've always always pleased they've done it. They always feel better for doing it. Um, and, and a saying we often use in uh, in passion fit is is trust and courage. So for most people, they probably understand that exercise is the right thing to do in terms of. It improving our physical health and improving our mental health. But most, you know, I guess if they're not in the habit of doing it, it can feel quite daunting. It can feel quite scary and they might not know what to do, but they normally understand that it is a beneficial thing to do. So what I would say is uh, perhaps to take that phrase away, is that trust and courage, trust that the process of, um, of exercising will make them feel better and then have the courage to go for it. Um, you know, I think often people, um, wait for a feeling of, of belief or, a guarantee that it will definitely take them to a particular place, whether it be physically or mentally. Um, and sometimes people can't give them those, those guarantees. So you might not feel, um, belief, but what you may, what, what we would ask you to feel is trust the process and have the courage to go for it. Um, anyway, so. Um, I, I, honestly, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I think, um, and, and, and don't try, don't think that you suddenly have to go out and be running 10 K's yeah. half marathons. Just get out eight. for, yeah, yeah take, yeah. take the dog for a walk for 20 minutes, twice a week, build it to three times a week, four times a week. Well, hopefully if you've got a dog, it'll go out daily, but, um, you know, uh, take, take a friend's dog, um, start small and set yourself very small little incremental goals. Good stuff.
0: Hey, if people want to follow you uh, or if they want to get in contact with you, where would they go?
2: Uh, so we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram um, as Passion Fit Coaching, and we have um, a website as well. Um, we have got a YouTube channel, and we'll usually post those links on our Facebook page. Um, and it's normally about this this type of content, you know, helping people to understand what we believe really matters and really makes the difference yep. rather than necessarily getting caught up about comparing themselves to others um, or kind of arbitrary number goals. It's, it's about them, their journey and, and how to stay focused on that.
0: Well, I love what you're doing. Um, I wanted to get you on the show because I just kind of, you know, like, again, this wasn't so much about today, it's kind of like how you grow and develop people and community and all those types of things. And it gets pretty obvious. You guys have put a lot of thought and energy and creating this and it's, it's showing in the work that you're doing for your people. So you should be bloody proud of the work you're doing and uh, the world needs so more much. fitness leaders like you guys, because, <laughs> you know, like I was telling you before the show that I'm writing my book that I've just finished writing, Yeah. Um, which is about getting non-exercises to love exercise. One of the key components is to find a place like yours, is to find a community that has leaders who know how to nurture and grow people in really safe and wise ways. And, uh, you know, God, if you're listening to this and you're trying to find a fitness community, you'd need something like this in your life. So keep up the good work. It's bloody awesome
2: thanks so much bevan thanks
0: thanks for coming on the show mate you rock yeah i really enjoyed that interview It was just really cool to see the insight on how they build that community and all that good stuff around the fitness community so you can check them out at passionfit.co.uk okay Jombo, let's say a thank you to the patrons christina steaming up the room we've got william treasure chest lockwood and Craig the Rock Nicholson. If you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Support the boys and what we do. Are uh, you also going to get a chance to win some prizes? You know, just, just, just make. Make it the year to support us. Uh, you want some coaching? Coach Sean so my podcast, Bevan James Owls. Now, all the interviews over the last three weeks, if you've enjoyed them, they come from my podcast. So you want to check out my podcast, you can just look up the Bevan James Owls show. Uh, other cool content, age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback, just go to email at gmail.com. What's the most exciting thing about 2022 for you? Uh,
1: what? So, well, maybe some international travel, uh, that, which, which would be really cool. I'm and, definitely going to Australia. And then hopefully... Um, doing this Kona 70.3, so hopefully, if you're listening to this, we've got a full schedule of Epic Camps, we've got Epic Camp Mini in April, and then hopefully over to Kona and do the 70.3, so I get to do a bit of racing action, and then uh, the full Monty later in the year in October, so looking forward to those. You can do the full Monty. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not, uh, so I love love showing people around different parts of New Zealand, so. That's going to be pretty cool. So that's sort of the highlights on the show. Where's the Where for Monty going to happen? It's going to be up around sort of Nelson, Marlborough uh, and sort of Golden Bay area. So my sort of, one of my favourite patches and some really, really cool riding and lots of very cool running. So we're going to be doing some, not unique runs, but some quite a few trail runs that I've never done before. So it's going to be good times. Good times. Outside of that. I guess on the racing front, looking forward to seeing where the PTO takes things this year. Yeah, Um, I think there's big news of this year. I think the the Ironman World Champs in St. George will be cool to see if the same winners come out in front and how that race kind of evolves when you've got all the big Kona's there. Is it going to be, it's not hot, is it? Uh, It won't be quite, won't be, he he won't be an issue. It'll be warm, but But it it shouldn't really be an issue. Um, yeah, it'll just be different, interesting to see what it's like when everybody's there and you don't have those cone kind of conditions to really disintegrate the, the, the packs on the bike, so yeah, but it's still a hard course. It's still a really good hard course. yeah. It's going to be it, great,
0: because it's traditionally windy or not.
1: Um, well, they don't really have, have, they haven't had Ironman Man there for quite a few years okay. from memory, so it could, could be anything. But that should be good. Uh, so yeah, it should be a great triathlon year, and we're going to see some short course guys doing this. It's going to be they're going to be going for that sub seven hour at some stage. Um, so yeah, there's lots of exciting things. Super League will be having another year. We have the, the Zwift World Championship. Well, not the Zwift, the Indoor Arena Games Championships. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, should be a cool year.
0: Pretty innovative times, isn't it? Oh, it I is. Try. So that's uh, that's it, Bevan. What are you looking forward to this year? On a personal front, I've got my album. Mm-hmm. And I've got my book Which I'm really excited about uh, Travel mm-hmm. we'll go overseas mm-hmm. to, Even if it's only Australia Look forward to seeing my daughter mm-hmm. You know I haven't seen my daughter In eight months And uh, So it's going to be pretty cool uh, Triathlon wise uh, Yeah I just think I think we're I just think You know You th- think Seven or eight years ago It was such a boring sport You know As an innovation You know mm-hmm. You had Ironman You had 7.3 year Olympics mm-hmm. You know now we're just in such a cool time for the sport and an interesting time for the sport because of the advent of the PTO, starting to you know build up some momentum. Mm. Um, I just think we you know it's a really fascinating time to be involved in the sport. So yeah, just looking forward to seeing how those steps move forward this year. Good times. Right, well, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart.
2: Kia, Kia kaha.
0: Kaha.